Hey everybody, Pierre Quinn here. You're listening to episode 131 of the Leading While Green podcast. My mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Jennifer Conweiler, author of the new book, Creating Introvert-Friendly Workplaces, How to Unleash Everyone's Talent and Performance. Before we jump into that conversation with Jennifer, I just want to thank you so much for supporting the Leading While Green podcast and for reviewing it. If you haven't reviewed it, can you hop over to Apple Podcasts and review it? Leave a five-star review. Let us know how much you've enjoyed these conversations on the Leading While Green podcast. I know you shared on social media. Your response to the podcast has been great, and I want to thank you so much for supporting this journey that we're all going on to be more effective leaders. As we're coming down to the end of the year, I know a lot of us need some time for reflection. We need some time for strategizing. We need some time to plan. We need some time to take a deep breath. And I want to encourage you to check out my Courageous Leadership Coaching Intensive. Spend a few hours with me reviewing some of the things that have taken place in 2020 and then developing a strategic plan for ending the year well and starting the new year with courage. You can find more about that Courageous Leadership Coaching Intensive at prcquin.com slash coaching. That's prcquin.com slash coaching. Our featured conversation today is with Dr. Jennifer Conweiler. Jennifer is among the top global leadership speakers on introverts. She has been a learning and development professional and leadership speaker at leading organizations like Merck, NASA, Bosch, the American Chemical Society, Freddie Mac, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, and the American Management Association. She has been named a certified professional speaker by the National Speakers Association, and she has been featured in Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Fortune. Her previous books, The Introverted Leader, Quiet Influence, and The Genius of Opposites, have sold over 100,000 copies and translated into 17 languages. And in our conversation today, we discuss her new book, Creating Introvert-Friendly Workplaces, How to Unleash Everyone's Talent and Performance. Here's my featured conversation with Dr. Jennifer Conweiler. I am so excited to be joined on this episode of the Leading While Green podcast by Jennifer Conweiler. Jennifer, thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, Pierre, I'm thrilled to be here. Okay, so I'm just going to dive into the deep end of the pool in our conversation. What's it like being married to an introvert? You started out with the easy one, huh? (laughs) Well, maybe ask me when I first met him and compared to now, 40 40 plus years later. We're still together. So, yeah, it's been a journey, actually. It, uh, you know, I realized I was one of those fortunate people that took an assessment early on in our marriage, not related to the marriage, but I was working and I had to mm-hmm. the Myers Briggs, mm-hmm. which back, may, back then it wasn't that popular. In any case, and I can't remember coming home and I, when I took it, you know, you have this sometimes when you, you use the disc, so you know, you have this sort of aha experience, like, oh, that's why I do what I do. That's why that person acts the way they do. So it was, I was having all these ahas in the, in the class, I remember, and the instructor was going down all the different characteristics. I said, that's my husband, that's me. And, uh, you know, and I had been so frustrated in trying to uh, relate to my husband, like, I, I wouldn't understand 
like you asked what it was like, it was very frustrating in the beginning until I had that awareness. You know, he would, Bill and I, for instance, would be at a social event and, uh, you know, he was talking to people, seems like he had good conversational skills. And uh, then he would come back to our little tiny apartment and just go in a corner, you know, <laughs> and and hibernate. And I would be saying, what, Bill, what's wrong? What's the matter? You know, did I say something? And, you know, all the kind of things I learned later, you don't say to an introvert <laughs> because it's very um, distressing. There's nothing wrong. He's just in his head and he needed time to recharge after being with people. And that's what I learned in that workshop and subsequently in working with many introverts in the workplace. So what's it like living with an introvert? It is, uh, well, it's great. <laughs> now I've learned, <laughs> now that I've learned and uh, I kid people, Bill kids me sometimes because he's one of my, he is my biggest fan really. And, you know, I, sometimes I'll, uh, I'll do an extrovert kind of thing. Like, you know, sometimes Pierre, have you ever interrupted anybody? You know what I mean? Um, and he'll say, he'll hold up one of my books. He'll say, read the book. <laughs> So we laugh about it a lot. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of times people of opposites. I, I wrote about partnerships and in, in the workplace that they get, that get along, but they, they struggle because they're first attracted. They say, Oh, that person's so different. And that's true personally in relationships too. the genius opposites. I call them, but you know, if you don't learn to figure out, you know, what are our common goals? You know, in our case, it's the marriage. We want to make the relationship work. Um, and in the workplace, we learn to uh, not change the other person, but to accept who they are. That's sometimes easier said than done. Now, it's one thing to be married to an introvert and yeah. to want to celebrate the differences and figure out how to work together better over you know forty year relationship. It's another thing altogether to become. Uh, how you describe it as a champion for introverts and to spend much of your yeah. life in calling, you know, right. with four books under your belt, uh, helping people understand this perspective. What what led to going down that road professionally for you? Oh, uh, you know, and that's really I, when I, I'm looking back on my life a lot now, you know, with COVID having time to reflect and, and, you know, I've always been a helper, Pierre. I was a, I was a counselor, you know, I started out in counseling and in, uh, in organizational development and trying to make the workplace better. And I kept coming up at, you know, at the parallel track to my relationship and figuring out how to make that work. Uh, I was also, I was working in companies and organizations and institutions that um, I saw consistently were overlooking the introverted clients who I had or the folks who I was speaking with, you know, I was doing a lot of training, I was doing coaching and I would, for many years did career coaching. And I, this same themes came up about um, introverts being overlooked and ignored and misunderstood. And they were, they didn't oftentimes express it verbally, but that you could see actually the impact of that. You know, you could see that people were not being promoted, that people were not invited to some of the more important informal power gatherings, you know, and it was, uh, it became a consistent pattern that I observed. And I, that's when I really decided to write the first book. That was about 12 years ago. I had some other reasons too. I wanted to create a niche for myself um, in leadership. I was doing a lot of leadership training and I felt like I'd learned a lot and I wanted to share. And this was the key message that I wanted to get out there. So that's when my career sort of took a shift back in the, uh, it was about 2007, I started writing. And uh, the book 
you know, it was really a fortunate time because introverts really weren't talked about and they were still seen as they are to an extent today as uh, sort of pejorative, you know, there's a lot of bias. And when I decided to write, when I wrote the proposal for the book, I'll, I'll remember I, one of the company, the publishers I targeted uh, was Barra Kohler. And when I looked on my bookshelf, I saw a lot of the books were from there and I knew of that company. I knew they were progressive and they believed in a lot of the topics we talk about and we work in. Uh, you and you and I and uh, I it land, the proposal landed on the desk of Steve Prasante, who is the CEO. He just stepped down, uh, and he is a real. It was called the introverted leader, which the book actually became. And he's a real. Uh, Steve is a uh, extreme introvert, and he hadn't really known about the term and didn't know about the concept. And it struck him as, as something uh, worth pursuing, and he was intrigued by it. And we had many conversations and. The rest kind of was history. It just came out with the second edition of the book last year. And uh, we, uh, I'm very proud of that first one because it, it really did take a lot of the lessons that I had learned from my introverted peeps and, uh, and basically said, don't change into somebody else, but build on those quiet strengths that you have to offer, which are so many. And let's highlight those. You know, you still have to adapt what you've been doing mm -hmm. constantly. But what can you do to build on those incredible strengths? Now you you introduce a word in the text uh, that I wasn't familiar with until I, I read your book. This concept of neurodiversity. Yes. So that was really really intriguing, especially in the conversations we're having about diversity in general. Yes. Uh, can yeah. you kind of frame for us what you mean uh -huh. by neurodiversity? Yeah, though that you know, neurodiversity we're just learning some about and and we're all researching it more and learning. But um I, I first came across that term, which really has to do with differences that are related to the brain and to how we function. I first came across the term when I worked with one of my very progressive clients, Freddie Mac, a few years ago. Well, I started working with them about five years ago. And they they were one of they were an early adopter to understand that introversion. They had a lot of introverts, analysts, financial folks who go deep into the data, and they were realizing that um, they knew about introversion. The people in diversity and inclusion they wanted to to bring this out more into the surface. And when I got there, I realized that they were also doing uh, paying attention to other aspects of diversity. And one, for instance, um, was um, autism. Now, you don't hear about that very much either. That's another what would be classified as a neurodiversity category. Uh, and they were actually committed to hiring people. And they had a special program to really bring in people with Asperger's, with all kinds of elements of diversity. And I believe they still do that. Um, learning disabilities. That's another one we don't talk about. And these, a lot of these neurodiversity um, elements are below the surface in diversity, we, inclusion and equity. It's talked about, there's an iceberg that you may have heard of that, that metaphor, right? Then under the water, there's a lot of, a lot of characteristics that we don't really visibly see in people. And we make judgments, wrong judgments about them without really understanding, you know, some of the characteristics uh, you know, race and gender sometimes are, are pretty visible. I, even that sometimes isn't true, right? But um, it's more visible, but these aren't so visible. So what we're seeing now is more of a discussion around, you know, let's, let's understand other aspects and it's related to the brain, a, a lot of them neurodiversity. So I, I'm excited about the growth in that area. Let's go back to that iceberg analogy and, and mm -hmm. talk about 
helping uh, introverts to to leverage their strength and what they bring to an organization. What are some of the things when we when we look? Well, first, how do you describe introverts? Because yeah. some people uh, different language right. around it. How do you describe it? And then, what are some of the things that we see on the surface that mm-hmm. sometimes keep us from digging under the surface and saying uh, what what other things they provide and bring to our organizations? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to frame it because uh, we look at negative impressions. Well, let, let's just the kind of the you know there's different ideas about introversion, but where I come from on it is is going back to what I said earlier about Myers Briggs, which really emerged from Carl Jung, who was a Swiss psychologist in the early 1900s, and he really first came up with the term. and And the way Jung talked about it was in terms of energy. And where do you get your energy from? And introverts typically get their energy from within. Where if you think about extroverts, you know, you and I, I believe both are extroverts, right? I know I am, and I think you are as well. So we get our energy from being uh, stimulated by people and places going and doing. So uh, that's kind of the general definition. However, um, I think we've come to to see, and I've observed this in, in all my work over the years, is that there is, it really is a spectrum. And so most of us, it is kind of a bell curve. So most of us identify with introvert or extrovert when we hear that definition. And, um, but most of us are also clustered towards the middle. You know, so we think about a bell curve, it's the norm is sort of more towards the middle, right? Or is it the mean? I can't remember, always get those mixed up. But it's, you know, if we think about it, we're all kind of clustered there. Um, Whereas you have outliers, you have people who are flaming extroverts and then the hermits on the other side. Uh, So, uh, and we all have both within us, by the way, all those characteristics. But when you ask people, the question that I, and I write about this in the book that I've come to ask people that tends to help them understand, in addition to the characteristics we review, whether they're maybe more on the I or the E side, have to do with how important is it for you to take a break? Must you decompress after being with people? Uh, or do you are you okay to just kind of keep moving and maybe you'll flame out after a lot of it, like some extroverts we know? Uh, but uh, but ex- introverts will say, you know, after a whole day of these Zoom meetings and people, I must have alone time. You know, I see this with my little granddaughter, Millie, who I believe is an introvert, uh, who will say after being at school all day or just playing with some friends, I need, she'll say, I need alone. I need to be alone. And, you know, it's good. We're teaching her. That's okay. So it, it is temperament. And by the way, a lot of us, it, it, Carl Jung said, and I, and now it's really supported by genetics, I, genetic research is that we're born this way. It's not like it's how we're wired. You know, it's nothing wrong with being an introvert for many years there has been a tremendous stigma. And I mentioned children, you know, you're shy. Shy is different. Shy really does, you can have a shy extrovert. Shy has to do with psychological and social anxiety. Anxiety. And those two can go together. They can be correlated with introversion. But as I said, you can have extroverts who are shy. People are always uh, confused about that. So we don't want to mix it up. Nothing is wrong with introverts, how you're wired. Now, your question about the misconception, I call them negative impressions, right? Where we go to judgment, we don't check it out, you know, and, and we're talking a lot about that now with diversity and inclusion about just uncovering the elements of privilege and really saying, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, what, what have I been, I took it for granted, you know, or I made these assumptions about introverts. 
So some of them are uh, uh, that um, they're angry, that they're bored, that they're slow. They're not, they're, they're slow and they don't make decisions. They kind of can't make decisions. They're sort of, because they're not talking, you know, that they really don't have anything to contribute because they're not talking, that they're antisocial. I mean, you ask introverts, they'll, you just ask any introvert, you know, they will tell you that. Now, interesting, just a little layer on intersectionality here. I have found, I've worked a lot with women who are introverted. And I believe that women, probably women of color experience this even to a greater extent. You know, we, we saw that, I won't go into politics, but the debate, you could see that, you know, we have to walk a fine line as women. So women introverts uh, have a hard time, but all, all introverts will set, tell you that there is tremendous, uh, uh, there is tremendously wrong assumptions made about them. Your book, uh, Creating Introvert-Friendly Workplaces, when I when you when I first heard the title, you know, I was thinking, wait, are are the work is the workplace unfriendly to uh. to to introverts? And especially as an extra extrovert, where have I been exhibiting yeah. extrovert privilege and you know, minimizing um the 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 talents and the efforts of people whose personality wiring is different from mine. When you first introduced that concept to to uh, leadership teams, especially organizations that lean more towards extroversion, w- what's the typical response that you get from them? Well, you know, it's a it's a work in progress right now. The book is new. It came out a few months ago. We're having a lot of really intriguing conversations about this. And truthfully, it has not been on the minds of senior leadership. That's my ultimate goal. And we're getting there because we know the cultural change happens. Yes, it happens among many people at layers of the organizations, but we must have senior leaders behind this. And so that's the opportunity. The the positive uh, steps that I've seen take place. And I include a lot of examples in the book uh, about this, Pierre, is uh, the pockets of inclusion, where I saw, I see HR leaders, diversity inclusion leaders, actually leaders in functions like IT, where there are a lot of introverts, take tangible steps to create spaces where introverts feel comfortable. So I can give you a couple of examples uh, of that if you like. Um, So I I proudly, I I was given a tour of a of a group of a organization two years ago, a year and a half ago, when I was starting to do research on the book. Um, and it was a chemical society, the chemical society, they had a branch in Ohio. And I went to see the facility and they had just torn down these like carols, you know, remember in the library, they used to have these like carols where you just like have these doors, which yeah. they said a lot of introverts <laughs> like I those. You're, you're smiling. <laughs> yeah. And this guy uh, who was the head of their agile team, some of you are familiar with, you know, agile, which is a way of doing work project management, um, really took the leap. And he said, we're going to redo the entire space to really support this process that we have. So, you know, you saw whiteboards all over the place. You saw many, you know, like scenes familiar to an open office. And he had primarily about, you know, maybe 75 introverts in the, it's probably all introverts. And he said to me, you know, Jennifer, I ordered headphones and nobody used the headphones. I was like, whoa. And it turned out that that space, the way he designed it with options for 
individuals to go off on their own. And that's what we see a lot. If you have choices in a workspace, it really works. So he had those, you have those, you had, you know, group areas that really adjusted to the needs of the work throughout the day. And they had a lot of success with it. And that was just one of many examples. Now we have the work from home issue, right? So that's another part of the whole equation. And before COVID, when the book came out right during COVID, but I did the research on remote work. And even I found that even we found that even one day a week at home made a huge difference to people's motivation and energy. And introverts in particular, you know, stated that they uh, were very uh, positive about this. And in fact, the good news was they said work, I did a study of over 200 introverts and they said, that their company over 60% said that working remotely was actually an acceptable practice. So that was pre-COVID. So remotely, remote work obviously suits introverts, but you know, it's not all or nothing. We also need to collaborate. So I looked at seven key practices in the organization, including, as I mentioned, workspace, uh, how we do virtual work, remote work. Also leadership, I mentioned also, that's a huge part of it and how the leader models the acceptance of introverts and how they actually go out of their way to engage different personality types. Huge. How we communicate. Another big one is hiring and uh, recruiting and hiring. And are we look overlooking people because they're not the kind of folks we want to go out and have a beer with? And that may not have nothing to do. Oftentimes it doesn't with the job itself, with the competencies needed. So just asking these questions, you know, like, what is the day like? I found I was at, with a group of one managers out in Silicon Valley, a company called Bosch that you might be familiar with. And they, we were bringing, you said, what's the reaction? So we did a program and I'll oftentimes do this, like a lunch and learn. We were in one of those big op- open offices and, you know, we had a lot of buzz. People were excited about the whole talking about it. People, you know, the troops folks were there. Then I met with the managers we had a couple of sessions with the managers, which oftentimes I'll do, like we'll raise awareness, but then what? Okay, then what do we do? And so we, one of the issues that came up was actually something tangible, like the interview process. Like they interview people and they used to have it a day where at the end of the day, you make your presentation was an R&D team. So they were finding that people were not at their best at the end of the day. They were exhausted, right? Because they were introverted. So what about if we switch it up so we just have them come back the next morning? You know, something like that. You may, you're probably going to get the person that you need because of that. So, I mean, that's really, that has tremendous impacts on the organization and the workplace. And again, it's about awareness and then a commitment to speak up for introverts. And for introverts to speak up for themselves. Let, let's talk about speaking up for, for introverts yeah. as executives or introverts as team leaders, because I know in, in some of the organizations that, that you consult with and, and, and help in this area, you'll find a person who was amazingly technically proficient. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've done their job extremely well. And because they've done their job extremely well, there's sometimes a promotion that comes. And now you're not in charge of the thing, but now you're in charge of the people who also do the thing. And some some introverts say this is really challenging or some say I'll never get this chance because our organization leans toward, 
you know, matter of fact, bull by the horns, this is how you have to do it. Leadership. Mm-hmm. What, what advice do you have for both introverts who are in leadership positions and organizations who are reluctant to move an introvert into a classically extroverted framework? Well, let, let's take the first one. Great questions, of course. Uh, so in terms of the introvert, when they move in, yeah, that's a typical scenario uh, that you have technical expertise is what I was hearing you say, right? And then you're all of a sudden you're thrust into leading people. And what your real love is, is to do the work, right? So managing technical professionals, if you are one, is a challenge, but you also have to realize there's a couple of key skills there. And this goes for introverts or extroverts, that delegation becomes your ace in the hole there, right? Because you, so, and how do you learn to delegate? Well, you learn a couple of ways. You, I believe one of the best ways is to hook yourself up, connect with people you admire, you know, you look up to and mentors and organization. They may not even know you're the mentor, they're your mentor. Observing, and introverts do this really well. Like the next time you're on a call and you see how somebody handles a person, you write that down, you learn from that observation. You know, they always said when I was raising my kids were little, I would look for, I'd read all these books and they said, Jennifer, don't, you know, your kids are going to learn more from watching you than from what you tell them. Right. And so that's a key thing is to do that. And to ask for the training that you need. A lot of companies now are better because they have more access to virtual kinds of learning opportunities, but ask for the development you need. It, you don't just learn this out of the blue. Learn leadership development, and you know that Pierre, you teach it. I mean, you work on that. It's there are principles and practices that are proven to work. And you don't you want to save time and fast forward when you get into those roles as a as an emerging leader. Have you noticed that that people uh, sometimes don't ask for that or aren't aware that they can get that primary help. Absolutely. So those, right? Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. And of course, mentoring, you know, that goes without saying. It's very important if you have not been kind of, it has you haven't been given uh, access to somebody who has more experience than you, who you look up to, then do seek out somebody. And it may be a push step. It may be uncomfortable for an introvert to do that. But remember that one of your strengths is one-on-one and focused conversations and developing deeper relationships. And so another one is writing. So emailing somebody or reaching out to them on your intranet, your Slack, your, you know, or even through LinkedIn to say you want to set up a call with them. And you want to be very clear about what you're trying to learn from them. You know, I know you've been in a position like this. Here are some of the challenges I'm having. Um, It's usually not best to do that with your boss right? Because there's, it's a dual role. So you want to look for people who can, who can tell you the tangible skills and can guide you in that way. A mentor is a teacher and a guide, but you also want them to probably even more importantly, show you how to navigate the culture of the organization. You know, and it, it's great if you can find someone who's an introvert, who's been successful because an extrovert's not going to do it your way. And so I'm not saying either or, but but kind of be looking out for those leaders who do it in a way that you can really connect to and you want to be like. So yeah, I think there's, I think that, uh, that that's a key thing. And you mentioned the workplace, and the question there was, 
can you clarify again how to support? I sometimes have trouble with double questions because yeah. I'm still in the other. I think it was how can we support? Yeah. Workplace support. How can we support the the mm-hmm. introverted leader in, mm-hmm. in in a what is maybe culturally, customarily an extroverted uh, leadership position? Uh huh. Okay. Well, I think what I have noticed, and and I one of the pieces I'll take is leaders who model it, and you know, people like Doug Conan of Campbell Soup, who comes out as an introvert and says that he's proud of that. You know, a lot of introverts still there's still bias around. Well, I don't really. I had what somebody say to me the other day, who's a pretty senior leader. She said, "Well, I don't. I notice people don't really want to claim what they are, even if they've had all the tests." And she says they don't want to say they're an introvert or extra. They think there's a lot of baggage with that. But saying it, and it doesn't have to be focused on the label as much as the temperaments and the strengths. So talking about how it's helped you share, being self-disclosive. And if you're an extroverted leader, you can do that as well, talking about what you've learned about the journey. You know, I oftentimes share in my coaching and consulting about my uh, relationship with my husband, my work with my clients, and talk about from an extrovert standpoint too, what that feels like um, and show that you have empathy. So I think that's a really key, key thing. And I think, um, you know, I have five steps in the book about how organizations can take how each person can be a change agent and how organizations can. I mentioned one with senior leadership. Another was um, being a voice for the quiet so that when you are in in a situation, you have your antenna up. And like, let's say you're on a large Zoom meeting and we're trying to get a lot done on the meeting, but the introverts aren't talking. So what about if we were to suggest that for this portion of the meeting, we go into breakout groups? Or we just take a few moments and we write down what our thoughts are or put it in the chat and nobody's talking, right? Because that gets to be, it's, it's overload for introverts to have all that stimuli and they can't do their best thinking. And by the way, team leads will tell you and people oftentimes will say that they get better output from the extroverts when everybody takes a breather and takes a break. We should take breaks, by the way. So that's an example of being aware in the moment, being a voice for the quiet. Number two, being intentional about planning. Like I mentioned, the example of Joe um, at the Chemical Society, who, when he created the new design, thought about introverts. That was really key. Uh, And bringing senior leadership into the conversation, absolutely. Like, you know, that one way that I've been doing that lately in a kind of a, I don't want to say backhanded, but it's been a great opportunity to bring senior leaders into the fore is to do fireside chats. And so we're doing like a, we did this with Kimberly Clark the other day. It was great. And we had a senior leader from India who happens to be introverted. And he and I had a very vibrant discussion the way you are now with me. And he was sharing his struggles as well as his triumphs. And I was able to bring in some of the research and it validates people. When you see folks who are in a you know, leadership position who are discussing it, not afraid to, not to label. Um, another thing we can do, and this is a fourth area, is teams can become more aware. And I think it doesn't always have to be at the large workplace level. So for instance, I came across one team lead in, uh, in at, uh, he didn't want me to say the company, so I won't say the company, but it was a Silicon Valley company. And he um, was using something that is actually available to everybody on the internet. It's called a user guide. I don't know if you saw that in the book. It's one of the tools on the teams. 
And the user guide says, you know, basically how I like to function, how I like to communicate, you know, just knowing a little bit about me, it makes perfect sense. And it, it plays to the introvert sweet spot of writing. And everybody sort of gets a level setting there of, oh, who's on my team? And, you know, teams are dynamic. They change. We have teams that are ad hoc teams, task forces. We go on for a long time with other teams, but usually there is a changeover. So when we have somebody new come on, we integrate them. And if, you know, we encourage them to say how they like to think best, you know, here's how to best reach me. Maybe uh, write me something first before you call me extemporaneously, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. So I think that's another area. And so I think those, there are many ways that we can be, um, we can be change agents no matter what level we're at. And, you know, it's, it's step-by-step it's, it's uh, it doesn't happen overnight, any kind of cultural change. I think that user guide piece is so, so crucial and a, and a, and uh-huh. a, a great tool uh, that le- leaders can use. Even if you're not part of a large team, maybe you're a solopreneur, that user guide uh, that that cheat sheet for your personal interactions is going to be very key uh, for you and for the people that you work with. Uh, I agree, and and I was going to just throw in there the mm-hmm. uh, the teams that use assessments, mm-hmm. like your you I believe work with the disc, and I do. Yeah. Uh, there's so many other ones that um, just kind of take away the mystery. Um, I you know, I have found that when teams and uh, work groups are are effective with this whole topic, they're not afraid to talk about the elephant in the room. You know, like why does Pierre never go to lunch with us or what, you know, they just, they understand, bring it out in the open and say, oh, these are some common characteristics. And then by the way, it helps you as a team to leverage those strengths. So there was a sales team of of two guys that I, I knew, I call them a team. And I thought it was a great example of like Marty, when they'd go to these Uh, presentations, Marty would be up there, you know, he was the real outgoing extrovert. He loved to schmooze with everyone. And, you know, he was out there. And then his friend, Brian was in the kind of like checking in with people very quietly, who were the potential customers and understanding where their concerns were, what they liked about it, what they didn't. And uh, they were, because of their two strengths sort of merging together, it was much more than one plus one. It was exponential, the introvert and the extrovert, because they knew how to take those strengths and leverage them. So it's beyond just us. It's understanding how we contribute individually to the larger whole. And then as a result, we get results. So it's very, very exciting. There's a tension that can sometimes come up between what some people view as doing this personal professional development work as it relates to our employees and culture and doing our jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times when uh, senior leaders are talking about what elements to bring in, if they want to bring you in and do some coaching and consulting, there's a question of how much of this is going to take away from our, the job that, that we're here, uh, that we're here for. Yeah. How, do, how do you help? How do you help organizations wrestle with that tension? And, I, I, and yeah. especially contributing yeah. to to the differences in the workplace as it relates to introversion and extroversion. Mm. Well, I like to work with clients who want me there. <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes I'm surprised, though. <laughs> and, and I, what's that? I said, amen to that. 
Yeah, I, I have found that, you know, and I'm, I don't know if other of your guests have said this as well, that, you know, you do have synergy with certain clients and certain, and not, not every type of function or company is for everybody when you're serving them. And where I have found the most uh, fit, the biggest fits, you know, and where people and where we're on the same page is where they feel a need and they feel like it's affecting uh, how they, how the work is getting done and the motivation and, uh, and uh, full potential and drawing out the full potential of each and every person. So those companies who are committed to that, I find it's a much uh, easier sell. I don't even have to sell it. Um, I have found that um, certain functional areas still present a challenge in accepting this. If it, but if it makes sense to them, like I'll say sales as an example. I had one um, individual who I think I, prof- I mentioned in the book, and she. Um, I thought we were on the same page. I did my due diligence, and I went there, and it was a sales team, and she was really not concerned about this aspect at all. She basically wanted what she felt. And this was quite interesting. I didn't know until I got there. She said, well, you're going to, you're going to tell everybody they need to turn into extroverts. And by the way, it was like 80% introvert team. So here I am, you know, I was like, no, that wasn't what my understanding was. So that Mm -hmm. I, I own that, you know, that was some of my missing out on on sort of what was happening there. I think she was saying she wanted that, but in the end, she was at least transparent. This is what I want. I said, well, that's really not, first of all, it's not possible. Second of all, it's not, (laughs) I don't recommend that at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was kind of perplexed, Uh, but that's unusual. But I think sometimes you, you have to do when we're bringing in these topics, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I know my diversity inclusion uh, and equity colleagues for years had to make and they still do most likely a business case, right? For this, let's make the business case. But I've heard recently, and I don't know if you've heard this as well, that folks are saying the case is more about it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do is to recognize and to value differences. We don't always have to say, oh, it's going to affect the bottom line. Like that's where this woman was coming from, I think. So yeah, and I believe that. I think it is. The right thing to do. I was speaking with uh, Michelle Silverthorne on a previous podcast episode, uh, author of the book, Authentic Diversity. And that was one of the things that she was sharing. We Uh need to get to a place where we're doing things because they are simply the right thing to do and and see how our organizations transform when doing the right thing actually becomes integrated into the culture. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I don't think it can be incremental either. The change has to be, Mm. there has to be a big commitment to this, you know, across the organization. Like this global summit I was describing the other day, it it was a big commitment. You had the CEOs involved, you had people coming, thousands of people coming, you know, that's a huge commitment. And now, then they had more discussion groups. It's like, as I say, we're down, we're going down the road, but- Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's a, to me, that's encouraging. It's very encouraging that the this is an aspect of that, the introvert revolution, I'm calling it. And by the way, that is happening worldwide. I just uh, uh, helped a, a colleague of mine, Jill Shang, launch a book yesterday, which we got published in English, which was a bestseller in Taiwan. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I think you can see here on my shelf, we're we're looking at each other right now. I've got a bunch of books that have been translated, but it has, hasn't always been the other way around. 
that we're learning from people in Asia about how this functions. So it's uh, it's a world my worldwide movement. Let's put it that way. Let's do a bit a bit a bit of coaching to the people who are listening to the podcast right now. We have an introverted leader mm-hmm. in a primarily introverted workplace. Most of the most of their colleagues are introverted, uh, but their leadership team is extroverted. Mm-hmm. And this this leader, every time they meet with senior leadership, they always walk away feeling either defeated or challenged or, you know, wrestling with the questions of why, why do I even do this? Yeah. What, what advice would you have for uh, a person with a leadership role in an organization that's made up of primarily introverted colleagues but a strong leadership team that's been toward extroversion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a, you're describing basically every IT department in America, <laughs> in the country, <laughs> in the world. Yeah. 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 So we should talk, we should, you should interview a, a CIO for sure, who has been effective mm-hmm. because it, you know, okay. So I would say uh, there are two, two strategies off, you know, just using um, off the top of my head here, as we're considering this question, you know, one is, to figure out, do your due diligence on some of the people who are on that team, the the ones you really want to influence. Maybe it's not the CEO, but maybe you have a person who's the CFO or another level at that leadership team who you have connected with. I assume if you've been in that role that you're in, there's been some people who've been your advocates and build on that. And when I say build on that, really understand how do I approach the rest of the team? You need to give me insight into navigating this cultural, <laughs> this culture. And how do I, what are specific tangible things that are important to the people on the team? So you need to have that. It's sort of, you know, this term, the meeting before the meeting. You don't want to go into those meetings without knowing or, or a one-on-one. So the people that are your stakeholders, you're going to find people in there that you need to influence. And you have others who are in your court already or sympathetic or understand what you're about and value you. And it'll give you some coaching tips on how you can prepare. And by the way, introverts prepare really well. So if you have that knowledge, in addition to the facts, in addition to by your practice, because you'll prepare your, let's say you're making a pitch or a presentation. You also need to know like part of that presentation is what's keeping some of those people up at night, what's important. And so use your stakeholders to find that out. Also do your research on the people. What's their history? You should know their LinkedIn profiles. You should know their uh, what they like to do outside of work because people do work, and especially if you think about an extrovert team, they like to talk. They like to connect. Um, And so one-on-one, you want to build in a couple of conversations with those people and make sure it's not all about work. You start out rapport building and you know that they went skiing last year or they like to go on safaris and somewhere, you know, you bring in that personal aspect and that will start to, that will shortcut your connection. And then they will be, and that's what you're aiming for, for them to be your advocates and your allies. So you don't get run over and they listen to you, and then they can help make those pitches with you or for you. And I've seen that done numerous, numerous times. But you have to play it. it it's sort of like playing it smart, not thinking that putting your head down and re- 
sending that report in to your manager is going to be the, the exact right way to do it. You don't know how they like to receive information. You don't know what they're going to be swayed by, but know what the important things are that keep them up at night. And then you can shift your presentation to do that. And I'm saying introverts are so good at research and going deep that you have an advantage there, but you have to find out who you're approaching. So I think those that's probably the um, the smartest technique that I think I've observed over the years and have coached my clients on to do that. And uh, at the same time, you're also subtly educating them about about you and and don't make assumptions they don't they don't value you either. You know, a lot of people say to me, the best leader in an organization is an introvert or the best boss I ever had, right? But they have to get to know you and they have to understand your talent. In in light of COVID, Jennifer, there are a lot of organizations that are doing an, an audit. They are auditing their culture and their practices. They're taking a look at uh-huh. some of their norms and they're asking questions. What are, what are we going to do? What do we have to do? What are the changes that we need to make in order for us not just to survive, but also to thrive? And there are right. a lot of organizations that are going through a major overhaul right now. Right. If, if, if I'm a part of an organization that's making considerations as it relates to our cultural transformation, uh, why should I include your book, Creating Introvert-Friendly mm-hmm. Workplaces, as part of that discussion? Mm. Well, I guess the main reason is, uh, Pierre, that if we don't hear from between 40 and 60% of our talent, the, you know, consider the impact of that on the contributions that we're missing, the possible innovations, creativity, cost savings, all of those, those things that affect our company. But we're also disengaging. We're disengaging so many people if we don't listen to them and they will quietly shut down they will quietly move on to the next opportunity. That's the bleak picture. That's, you know, if we yeah. don't pay attention. So I think that that's probably the most important reason. Um, and also, like we said before, it's the right thing to do. Uh, Jennifer, I call this shameless plug time in the podcast. Give us all of your <laughs> URLs, your social handles, uh, the ways that we can catch up with you. You know, I know you got four, you got four books out, so you can plug them all, whatever you want to share with us so that we can stay connected. Okay, great. And I, I want to thank you, Pierre, because you told me earlier you were an extrovert and I want to explode the myth that extroverts don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you put your mute button on, which is a good tool for all of us extroverts. So, but thank you for that very much. Yeah, I, I'm happy to, if you go to Amazon, you can see all of the books. Actually go to my website, jenniferconweiler.com, and we have free excerpts of all of the books uh, and audio and and also written. Um, it's, so it's, you're going to have that in the show notes, I think, but it's Jennifer, K, yeah, K-A-H-N-W-E-I-L-E-R.com. It's a brand new website with a lot of resources on there. And I also would encourage people to take the quiz. We have four quizzes, the one for each book, and you get results immediately. They're all free and gives you a baseline. Like, how is my team doing? How is my organization doing in creating an environment that really embraces introverts? So it's a great place to start. And we're actually beginning some book clubs now. So uh, that's pretty exciting. And you guys can uh, can find out more about that by going to the website. 
But I so appreciate you having me today, Pierre. You asked fabulous questions. I want to encourage you to check out all of her work. We'll put the links in the show notes so that you can be just one click away. My guest on this episode has been Jennifer Conweiler, author of the new book, Creating Introvert-Friendly Workplaces, How to Unleash Everyone's Talent and Performance. Jennifer, thanks so much for being my guest today. Pierre, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Great conversation with Dr. Jennifer Conweiler about her book, Creating Introvert-Friendly Workplaces, How to Unleash Everyone's Talent and Performance. And I want to encourage you to assess the culture of your organization. Do you have a place where only extroverts thrive or do you have a place where introverts can thrive too, where their talents can be on display and where they can contribute to what's going on? If not, you got some adjustments to make in your organizational culture. Want to encourage you to check out Jennifer's work, grab her insights, pick up your copy of Creating Introvert-Friendly Workplaces, and grow as a result. That's all I got for this episode. You know it's my mission to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.